0: May 3rd, 2023. Let's continue in Morey Nebuchadnezzar. Let's uh, read tonight from Haylek Beit, Perek Lamid Gimal. And Haylek Beit, Perek Lamid Gimal is uh, more appropriate for this time of the year, perhaps, than any other time. It describes Ma'amad Har Sinai, We're of course, in the midst of counting the days till we commemorate Ma'amad Har Sinai on Shavuot. But moreover, the part that I want to, at least tonight, focus on, although there's much to be said, throughout Harambam's description of Ma'amad Har Sinai, what it was and uh, what it wasn't in turn, um, is a portion that that, that connects us to, uh, to an earlier conversation. As a matter of fact, to a conversation we had at the very beginning in Hailik Aleph and Pedik Beit of the Moreh. And if if you if we read his words carefully, but not even that carefully, we'll see, at least in my mind, Harambam is uh, letting on to something... Pretty significant and beyond even the very significant things that he says explicitly. Well here it is, says Harambam Barul Li el Begins Harambam and he says, It's clear to me, although the Pesukim describe for good reason, Ma'amad Har Sinai as a communal, national event in which everyone partook, don't imagine, don't believe, says Harambam that everyone had an equal capacity to understand, perceive what was happening, uh, to everyone had an equal capacity to uh, dive into the meaning of the Now, I should, and maybe should have even before we began, just warned you that Harambam finishes this perik by reminding us that we can't really delve into this parasha, uh, this uh, episode of Ma'amad Har Sinai, much, much, much more than the rabbis allowed for us, or that I'm getting into. Kihu mikilal sitre Torah. Haram Bam considers, now, keep in mind, we're reading Moren Bukhim, we're reading the book in which he's, so to speak, uncovering the veiled secretive sides of prophecy. Ma'amad Har Sinai says Haram is a foundational moment for us as a nation, but ultimately speaking has many secrets, many things that are going to be too difficult, at least in his eyes. Uh, to figure out. But his first statement is that the prophetic experience of Am Israel is not, he says, in my mind, equivalent to that of Moshe. Ela. el Moshe Levado. Here's where it gets a little bit uh, surprising. Says HaRambam, the direction the conversation was truly only to Moshe. What do you mean? <laughs> It says, if you look at the Aseret HaDeberot, that isn't as much of the Torah does, speaking in the plural, it's speaking in the singular. You'll find passages in the Torah that are in the singular, but generally speaking, we're, we're, we're used to it being in the plural. You, as a people, should do X, Y, and Z. If God was prophetically encountering the people as a whole, it wouldn't be lo lecha, it would be lo lachem. It wouldn't be lo it would be lo and so forth. As says Bam, truthfully, what was taking place was a conversation, prophetically, between God and Moshe. Vehu, alav hashalom, and then Moshe, he should rest in peace. Yored el tahti tahar, he, after hearing, after encountering God prophetically in Nevo'ah, uh, came down from the mountain, and informed the people that which, using his word, he heard. Lashon hat-tora. listen to the words of the Torah in Parashat Vayetzhanan. Hanan. omed Adonai Moshe, remembering Har Sinai, in that statement, does not say we stood together and heard. He rather says God spoke to me, and I relayed the words to, words to you. If you haven't picked up on the jarring, shocking statement that he's already made, I'll make it clear for you. There are Jewish philosophers such as Kuzari who imagine and consider Ma'amad Har Sinai to be the moment that proves God's existence. The moment in which we had a national, collective, prophetic experience in which we encountered God. For Harambam, it doesn't need to deal with within the opinion, is that a good proof to state that we have the right belief? No, there's no such thing. For Harambam, we never as a nation had this long, elongated experience. It never existed. What was happening? There was, so to speak, a conversation or a relaying of information from God to Moshe and Moshe in turn to the people. Again, it's... it's, at least in today's day and age, probably, very much so then as well, this is somewhat earth shattering. He's not, he's, he's not accepting the simple reading, at least the simple reading as most people would have it, of the Torah of Har Sinai. Of the Chena, Mike, go ahead. He, the says this, 11 levels of nevois, and then this Moshiach. Absolutely, Absolutely. but, however, I I got you, so Abi already says, says, listen, the first statement, you couldn't imagine any differently, that Moshe is experiencing it like us, come on, but he's going more than that, he's saying that the prophetic experience was such that it was high enough, it sounds like now, that only Moshe could get to it, and we couldn't, that's an amazing thing, I mean 600,000 plus, as per the numbers of the Torah, people are standing by and experiencing what? experiencing a afterwards lesson from Moshe. It's just not the way it's played out in the pictures or in the tellings. And so to the Pasuk says in Parashat Yitro, Moshe, yedaber bekol. Moshe would speak, and then those next words, we'll have to try to figure out, God would respond with a sound. He cites from Midrash HaLachan on Shemot. Ne'emar kehavhara shehaya hozer lahem a dibur ve dibur Moshe, in Haram Bam's telling of this mechilta, would repeat everything that he heard from God to the people. That's what the Pesukim are describing, he tells us. Ken Furthermore, the Torah says God tells Moshe, this experience is significant. You and I say, of course. I mean, what's? God says to Moshe, this is important, so that the people hear as I speak to you. Again, there's no mention of him speaking to them. That's the proof that the piniah, or shah piniyaj, I should say, that the turning of God prophetically is to Moshe. The Odhem shum'im, Oh, wait a second, here's something new. They heard the people, They heard the great sound. lo, however, not Et Pirut Hadibur. The details, the specifics, they didn't hear. A sound. They did hear. Don't we talk about them seeing the sounds, though? The Torah does, does say something about seeing the sounds. We'll have to figure out what that means, not <speaking> per se, know. right? <speaking <speaking <speaking> 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 there are several interpretations to it. Why First he and he foremost, Rashi's interpretation would not be consistent with yeah. Harambam here. Ibn Ezra as well, I mean, you'll have to, you'll have to... Uh, uh, now, Harambam will address many of those Pesukim later on and suggest little bit anticlimactic again, everything he's doing is toppling our visions of it, that a lot of those sounds were not the sounds of God convening in, in nivua Those were the sounds, the surround system, the sound surround the sura- the surround system. Those were the kol shofa, those were the lapidim, that's what that was. That's what they were seeing in here. Yeah, that they could hear and see. Why yes, so it? shocking? I not understand it. It's not per se so shocking, um, I mean, uh, okay, first and foremost... No, nobody else might. Right, so- but ultimately speaking, if I were, and apparently not you, A B, but if I were to begin the class and to say to everyone, so just describe to me in five sentences what happened at Sinai," mm-hmm. I imagine, included in those five sentences, everyone would say something along the lines of, and God spoke to the people. He's making very clear Harambam is, there was no conversation with the people. Okay. Uh, that's that's signal now it might be and, and you're speaking very much along those lines rationally difficult to accept that why would it be difficult to accept well we're several weeks out of Egypt this is a nation of slaves this is people ready for prophecy and well, that's a great question it's very much in support of Hananban's notion over here that they're not really experiencing this prophetically but the standard interpretation as a matter of fact, there are commentaries later than Harambam who get very annoyed and very disturbed about such a notion that they're not actually hearing it. There is a Midrash in Shir Hashirim, I saw it quoted in Torah Shelema. There's a Midrash in Shir Hashirim where there's a mahlok between the and the Chachamim about whether the people, so to speak, were hearing it through an angel or hearing it directly from God. Now, both of those opinions are accepting something was being heard by the people, but the anger of the Chachamim at the is almost felt through the lines of the, Seriously? You think through an angel? Do you understand what this is? This is the moment of revelation to Moshe only? Isn't there someone also, someone also, the Rambam says though, this is the fact that the people heard themselves, our prophecy is heard by the nation. We'll have to, to... Re- read Rambam's words in the Chot Yesodeh Torah, but they do not conf- they do not contradict this. That was maybe a reading of it. The reading is not per se that. It's that it was an experience in which they heard the call convening to Moshe. They didn't hear details, says Haram Bab. Mm. They didn't hear words. They didn't experience much in terms of the real sense, so to speak, of God's message. They got something overarching. They either heard prophetically or heard even physically something which gave them a certain understanding, a general one, but those details, those asiret adibirot, Moshe, al to kol gadol, he goes back to this kol gadol, which the people did hear. Whereas Moshe hears divarim, words, the nation hears kol gadol, they hear great noise. I mean, just imagine, you know, mashal, you're at a distance from something. So there's the people who are closer, who hear exactly what's going on. There you go. On the understanding side, everyone who's distant hears something. Actually, they don't actually have a certain understanding of it. Alternatively, imagine it as you don't know, speak that language. So you experience something, you saw this was something very significant, you saw this conversation was earth shattering, and you kind of gleaned what it was about and actually hear the details. Something along those lines is what he's describing with regards to omniscience. There are many important debates and conversations as to the particulars of what he means, but we're given the most basic interpretation right now. Again, as you heard the sound Moshe's words. You heard sounds of words you didn't see anything you heard, sound. He did not say at any point you heard words. Anything that was said with regards to the hearing experience, the auditory experience of the people at Har Sinai was with regards to a sound. This would be the interpretation that the Torah's words yield to us. Moshe reports the words of God to the people. The people hear a sound of some sort, again, whether imaginatively or physically, but ultimately speaking, they don't hear the content, the details of the Aseret deberot at Har Sinai. That seems very clear with regards to what Haram Bam says. Again, the particulars, uh, even he is 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 hiding from us, but that's the general picture with regards to uh, his description of the happenings there I should parenthetically tell you there was at some point maybe eight nine years ago I had a student who asked me something else. He picked up on these words in the Pesukim So I read to him the words of the Morim years later. This is two three years ago He had a conversation with someone else. Oh, he's already grown up married and so forth and he had a conversation with someone, with a with a, a rabbi, and he repeated this. But instead of remembering that this is Baum, he repeated it in my name. Oh. To which, of course, the rabbi said, "I would never suspect Avi Harari, Rabbi Avi Harari, of saying such a thing." Now yeah. he, he returned to me with, with this report of you know what he considered lashon harabam. So of course he said it. I said, Here, here's what you need to do. Just go forward and say." Rabbi Harari was reporting to me the words of Haram Bam. I, I don't need, and, and I make that very clear. We could discuss, we could go further in terms of proving and so forth, but ultimately speaking, you can't really argue that. He's saying his reading of the Torah, could we disagree with it? We might be able to, but it's a pretty good argument he's making. He's going to now set forth an angle from... Unkulus in just a moment uh, with regards to his understanding that his translation, his Aramaic translation uh, supports this notion as well. Ramban Nahmani in his commentary to the Torah disagrees with that point and understands this as being a lot more direct to the people than Harambam does. Uh, there are different Mefrashim who each have their angles, different Midrashim, different interpretations but Harambam's words in this respect that the people didn't have a full-fledged or anything at all with regards to a prophetic experience are pretty clear. Would you say call is not any type of yeah. prophetic experience? Like, is there? I, I very, I very purposefully right. was ambiguous. Yeah, because he has been ambiguous. He has not made that clear to us. Is not specific. I, I, I. Furthermore, I've oh, yeah. told I've been ambiguous and 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 explicitly so in saying it was either imaginative or physically. He's not committing himself to that. I don't know per se how much of a difference that will make in the scheme of things. There is conversation about it in the medieval commentators of the more uh, But for now, I don't know. That's so, that. Robert, just yeah. a couple quick so the first line obviously is pretty easy. Obviously Moshe has not experience it very by us. Right. That. But even after that, in the context of the More and what it is, generally speaking about Propriety and non-propriety, etc., and not to get caught up in understanding what Hashem is or isn't. Sure. Hashem, Data this makes total sense because then once you do that, then you're again limiting. The Moreh's sure. whole job is to, is to get rid of all of that. Right. In, in what he's doing. So I think what Norman is, is saying is that this is consistent. I mean, we'd imagine so with haram general trajectory throughout in moving us away as he understands is his tradition that he needs to set forward with regards to these sorts of conversational bits and uh, humanistic sides of God to us as a result and that's really that's the unculus He's going to quote which he touches on earlier in the more as well that even this call even this call you know as a child I imagine this call was Oh, God's voice of course. I was wondered what it would be like booming or was it squeaky was it I, He's going to call it a cold Nivra. It's a created sound. It's not a voice at all. So very much consistent uh, with the general trajectory and with his vision and with his mission. No question. And then it's that the first two were in this... I'll give it a second. That's, that's the part for tonight I want to focus most on. Uh, although all very significant and very important, his description, and even the disagreements with it all, uh, maybe even uh, enough information and enough excitement for next week returning to it. But, hachamim gam ba and now, Harambam pauses, and he quotes from a Gemara. It's a well known Gemara. The other Midrashim as well. It's a Gemara at the end of Massechim Makot and Daf Kafdalit. The particular context of a Gemara is a Dirasha, uh, that there are 613 mitzvot in the Torah. That's, it comes up in that context. How do you know? Well, of course, you're not going to have a proof per se. Maybe you count, but how are you going to count them? What's in? What's not? And so it says that the Pasuk says Torah Sivalanu Moshe, so Bet going into kafdal Daliz As Torah says that Moshe gave us Torah, and says Rebisim Lai, uh, Torah is Begemat 611. Oh, but that's not enough, we need 613 Tariyat. Says so, Gemara, don't you know the first two of the Deberot, we didn't hear from Moshe, we heard from God. That's what he's siding over here. So pause for a second. That runs against everything he's been telling us until then. He described to us, Adam Bam, that all the people heard was a call. All right, I got it. So you knocked out 611, you knocked out the other eight. But what happened to your first two? Now, the Gemara is picking up as well, and this needs to be mentioned, on Pesukim right after the Aseret HaDeberot, right after the Torah describes them to us in Parashat in, Yitro, in and Moshe recounts us in Parashat Ve'et Hanan, he describes how the people turned to him and said, we can't listen to God any longer, we're nervous that we're going to die. The rabbis inject those words into after the first two debirot Okay, those are the first two. Why would they do so? The first two are in the... Um, God to the people, Anochi, I am, lo Alpanai on my face, and the rest are, lo tisayet adonai elohecha uh, the rest of them are and, uh, speaking about un- not himself, but it sounds like someone else is speaking them, so there is something there textually, linguistically, separating the first two from the latter eight, All right, so what is it, so the rabbis say we heard those first two, what happened to no prophecy for the people? What happened to just a sound? Hakavana, so as I'll tell you what they mean with this. al el Moshe Those first two reached the people. He will qualify this and tweak this later on. So I'm going to add in a word. Almost the same way that Moshe perceived them. Those first two, they didn't need Moshe as the intermediary. So it means they heard them. So no, it, was, it wasn't simultaneous. Okay. I mean, it's not, it's, just, it's not simultaneous. It just happened the to be... The first two. The first two. Yeah. First one. Yeah. What, what do you, one after another. Right. No, I'm saying with Moshe. No, uh, well, He says, we and Moshe received them in almost the same way. My word, almost. Okay. Uh, yes, it's simultaneous. Uh, but to what extent? I thought we couldn't hear it. I we are only hearing exactly... These two principles, the first one, God's existence, and the second one, he's the only, Haram Bam's opinion throughout, but very explicitly here is, that God's existence can be perceived, can be grasped through our minds. Nothing that we're per se surprised by Ban's general conversation throughout, but he makes it very clear here. If you want to set out to prove the existence of God and the singular existence of Him as opposed to any others, you'll be able to do so. Use If you sharpen your mind, if you look into nature, if you look into logic, if you do this right, you'll get there. But what does that have to do with anything? Anything that can be known through empirical evidence, through proving uh, with regards to logic, to our mind, mm-hmm. there's nothing superior uh, to the prophet over the non-prophet. So although Moshe may have, and indeed he'll tell us, did experience those first two with prophecy, and we didn't, we're talking about matters which can and should be Derived through our minds in the in in a non-prophetic sense, we don't need the prophecy of our cognition in order to get to God's existence and the oneness of God. We could do that without it. You could get it prophetically, whatever that means. Uh, but we are somewhat equal with Moshe on this one. There's no. Um, there's no uh, elevated status to the prophet over, over someone who's just using their mind properly. <inaudible> These first two principles, <inaudible> no These first two were not known only prophetically. He's already letting on to the fact that there was prophecy for Moshe. He still hasn't fully helped us out. So what did the people experience? You showed to be known that God is uh, the one and only, uh, which means to say, it can be known. You don't need prophecy for it. So his suggestion then is, these first two he's not going against what he told us earlier. There was a general experience. Let's pause and understand that I'm standing at a distance This is a mashal. This isn't Tarsi and I standing at a distance and there's actually something going on down the road Now I can't make out all the details but I have some knowledge of what this event is about and from the noise that I hear I'm able to logically connect the dots as to what's taking place. That's the experience of Am Yisrael. They experience something. What's it called? A call. Do they hear words? Do they get the deep? No. So then how'd they get this figured out? Because these are principles which they've been working on, which they've been developing. They've even experienced things in Egypt. They've been developing themselves over time. They are human beings after all hearing something, experiencing something that's unmistakable, I can't tell you exactly what that is. I can't tell you what it was. The Torah tells us about a kol gadol. It snapped for them. That was their experience. Okay, so that's the first two. What about the latter eight? You couldn't figure out on your own, Lotirsah. You couldn't figure out on your own, lotignov. You couldn't understand as a nation, You really couldn't get those on your own? You would have, but not the source of it. The latter eight, the next eight. Those happen to be words we know already. So effectively, before I tell you how we know those words. He says the eight bottom ones are what we call samot and Mekubalot. Earlier in the book, in Heilek and Perik we translated those words as conventional, societal, communal truths. The first two are Muskalot. Lo ha-muskalot. What are those? Absolute truths i will have to return in just a moment to what he's talking about with this he returns to tell us, what did the people hear? A call, Now he says it explicitly. What did the call bring forth for them? I gave the best mashal I could. Maybe Sammy will at some point give me a better one. So through a call, that's what they experience, that's what they understand, almost independent, not almost, fully independent of prophecy. Now what is this? What is the experience over here? that the first two, uh, through some sort of logic, empirical data, they could arrive at, whereas the next eight they wouldn't have, per se, and they needed Moshe to relay them to them. That's what I'd like to deba- discuss. And I'll return us again, although there is the rest of Perik Lamid Gimal here, which we need to conclude, I want to, for the moment, return us to the second chapter in Moray Nebuchim. You might recall this. It was the second or third class that we had, And it went like this. There was an individual, says Harambam, who approached him. He tells this brief story and asked him, does it make any sense, the Torah's telling of it's Hadat? The Torah says that God commands Adam and Havana not to eat from this tree. And they eat from the tree and in turn become smarter? Was God sadistic? Did God want to torture us and not let us become smarter? No, maybe they didn't become, no, the Torah says their eyes opened up, they noticed their nakedness, they did become smarter. Says so Harambam, you confused, this individual did, truth and truth. Oh, what do you mean truth and truth? There are different types of truth. For example, says Harambam, what eating from the tree was, a world known as tovenra, it was its had tovara. Life, so to speak, beforehand, life as it could be afterwards in certain respects is, Emet and What's the difference between those two? Tovin Ra is subjective. It's conventional. I think you look good today. I think she looks bad. Oh, what sort of statement is that? That is in the eyes of me. Maybe in the eyes of society. But ultimately speaking, it's not objective. If I say alternatively that 2 plus 2 is a good uh, answer four. that's not a good answer, that's a true answer, that it's 3 is not bad, it's false, and so forth. So what Bam describes is, the decision is the words we use for eat, to eat from the tree. We're human beings' decision to opt out of a world of abs- absolutes to enter into a world as we know it, where we're human beings and we have drives and we have tendencies and we have inclinations and we have proclivities all based on our society and our governance and so on and so forth. To the extent that Harambam said, Vihiten ke Elohim, the pasuk says, eating from the tree will make you like Elohim, which sounds like God. He quotes Ramon Unculus. Elohim is ravreveh, like important ministers. A mayor, if a mayor or a governor or a president believes they're going to govern based on truths, they won't have a kingdom at all they won't have a country or a city or anything of that sort they need to take into account the people they need to make concessions to the people they need to act and realize that their governance is not driven by black and white determinations says so bomb here then for us and this for me is very significant the first two of the Deberot and only the first two of the Deberot were absolutes those two didn't need an intermediary of Moshe. Those two were black and whites. Those two we could and would and will get to an understanding. The next eight, as wonderful, as significant as they are to our lives, are community-building aspects. They're realities that not per se need to exist in an ideal world. In a human world, they need to exist. In an ideal world, does there need to be a law la tirsach? In an ideal world, do we need commandments? Do we even need realities? It's hard to wrap your head around it because we don't live and we never have lived in an ideal world. Do any of those Deberot hold within them some sort of inherent truth? Would you call them emit? Haram yes. Baum's arguing no. no. I, I think it's the flip side, that the, the, the truths are the other eight. It, it, where you, you, you break down society if you do these things you, those you, you, are the key words though you right. break down society exactly. because you you're, I you're got it a so that's so, a toven ra conception that's a societal conception no, there's never live, chance that if you kill it's not it's, it's okay I will agree with you so, How, I will agree with you but the command as a necessary command is only in place he seems to be suggesting, okay. because of the tendencies of human Humans, beings. Right, it's a human drive. Let's say that that uh, no, something along those lines. Absolute... You know that, in that respect, for me is very, very telling. And the reason it's very telling is because I think it gives, perhaps, maybe I'm reading it wrong. It gives a certain broad um, understanding to what Torah is. People do, and I think mistakenly believe and accept. Torah speaks to us as absolutes, as truths. Now, Torah certainly does instruct us what to do, and once it's God's word and will, uh, that's what we must be doing, and it becomes for us a practice truth. But ultimately speaking, many of the mitzvot of the Torah are truths for human beings. They are realities that are necessary for you and me. They don't per se represent an absolute truth. (inaudible) Anochi, lo yihyeh, are absolute truths. Everything, not everything, but the latter eight in the Aseret and are realities that need to exist for me and you. And in that context, I put together four sources that remind me very significantly of this point. There's a certain takeaway from this, which we'll hopefully arrive at as well. They're famous sources, pretty much all of them. Maybe one of them not. The first one is Gemara Masechit Shabbat. Go ahead. Differentiate again, are you not just describing the first two as intellectual and the last eight as behavioral? Um, Inner versus outer. Yes. Okay. Good. Another way to say it is another. Again, he uses. He doesn't just use those words as muskalot as opposed to mekubalot and mefursamot, So he deepens it more than that. But alternatively, what you're saying, Sammy, is that behavioral matters are by definition going to be societally driven. Yes, I believe that. I I think you're saying it properly. Um, You know it. It's interesting because there is a debate whether you violate it with just the thought or with the action as well. Okay. Regardless, the Gemara here, Chabad Shabbat, source number one, going into Daf has this famous description. I say famous because I really think it is famous. I think this, we've been we've heard this so many times. Maybe we haven't always appreciated the depth in it. It's how the angels turn to God and pray. Okay, that you. you are you suggesting that Rambam saying that it stops at the point of a constructive society? What, what do you mean by it stops? In other words, the purpose of these other eight, the way they're saying it, In other words, and I'm not going this far, but in other words, if you were to logically, perhaps logically drive this forward and imagine a utopian society, let's describe it as a Eden experience, yes, these wouldn't exist. That's what I'm suggesting. That Harambam okay. is telling you the Torah is existent for people in this world when you live in what we know as a regular society. If you live in a utopian society, call it a harita yamim if you must, call it Reshita Yamim if it's better. Regardless, yes, these is wouldn't that it's exist. Is, is I mean... It it's certainly relates. But he also doesn't limit Ulama um, azeh in only to that point of getting to that constructive society. He also then says that it's concomitant worlds, right, and the whole... But what I'm telling you is, for Haram let me. Those things are not separate. Let me sharpen the right. point. What I think he would tell you is something along these lines is the way, he, for example, he described those first two as ikarim. Yeah. Everything else is, are necessary truths within this world. But the first two are necessary realities. I know, so what's your direction? My direction is, is those first just two. Within this world. Right, obviously, it's within this world. That's what the Torah is for. Okay, but right. that's and a very. The Torah, no, blah, blah, blah. I agree the Torah, with you. I, I agree with you. But it, it for example, uh, for, it, it it opens up a certain understanding to how a navi hadahak yeah. Eliyahu in a circumstance where it's How could they have the goal, the audacity to determine that this is appropriate? And the answer, perhaps, is that these were necessary realities for the grain of society. They're not necessary. They couldn't lead the people to, sure. people to sure. there's no such thing. Okay. So that, that's, I, I think there's a, a sharpened point over here, okay. which is not always apparent. People will mistakenly, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe rightfully, just not Harambam vision, uh, understand all the mitzvot as being equivalent in this respect. They are God's truths and as a result, there is no existence, no, there's no existence here without them. That doesn't mean per se that they're inherently a truth in that respect, I mean, a few weeks back we learned, though, how he perceives ayin ta'chadayin as, it is an absolute truth, it's something that, um, there is that opinion that, no, it actually is an eye for an eye, it's not necessarily. But I don't know if that means an absolute truth. That means behaviorally, that's how you should be doing it in this world. It's almost a concession on top of a concession. In other words, to, to take it in the direction that we really set forth was once upon a time, let's, let's take that approach, for example. Once upon a time, an ayin ta'harayin was a reality. That was the right way to govern society. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, okay. Over time, Hammurabi and maybe Torah yeah, was. Yeah, it. no, to, no, but, it but it's a okay, great but. point. It's a great point you're bringing forth. In other words, let, let me go a step further on that and say, how could there have been a development on that? Yaharam! If God I know God gave it to us quote-unquote, in somewhat of an ambiguous way to interpret it, <laughs> isn't there an absolute truth here? Yeah, the absolute truth is the governance of your society. You know, so what, you're, what you're bringing forth is, is the greatest proof for this. How could Bam have such a vision if that is his approach? That Ain Tachatayin has been redefined over the course of time, has been redefined. What's the truth? The truth is what's going to govern your society if it can be experienced through an understanding in the text of the Torah. There's uh, a single opinion that says, I know. I know. I know, I know. But Haram Bam, Haram Bam used those words. Haram Bam said, Don't right. get confused. But, right. but he said to us, That's the true meaning. Don't be confused by the rabbinic interpretations. Abe, you remember it. The Gemara, Mazach Chabad, again, now. Well, lost all its excitement now. Anyway, says the Gebarah mm-hmm. the angels turn to God and they say, it's God, why are you giving human beings the Torah? I'll give it to us. We won't mess it up, mm-hmm. my addition. They, well, they're prone to lust, desire, envy, and so forth. Us, we're not lazy. We can do things right. We stand for truth. God's response is turn, turning to Moshe and having Moshe defend it. Line by line, the Midrash has Moshe defending the acceptance of the Torah through mm-hmm. the de Birot human side. Even the first, even Anochib, he focuses on and he says, the development of a relationship, of a reciprocity, of understanding God did that for us, and what we owe him, that's an experience we have. Lotersach, are you guys driven by that? Lotinav, are you guys um, kind of, will you fall prey to that? The description of this Midrash, perhaps, at its greater level of depth is that the torah instead of envisioning it as a body as an existence which is angelic which could and should be accepted by the realm of the no much of the torah is purpose it's godly it's given by god for us though to govern a society to build us in other words bringing us back to the initial conversation you may have walked away from of and the Moreh and said What a damned world we live in. Ah haram. We live in this world with all these falsities, with all these tendencies of ra existence. The Torah is directly in line with that. It's not looking to stifle it. It's looking to work within it. We are human beings. We are driven by emotions. We can and will develop ourselves in this world and the Torah will help us within that system instead of breaking us out, you know, lehavdil, to, 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 to color it a little bit, you know, to, to understand the, it's a little difficult in Harambam, but just uh, you know, in our world, to understand the Christian notion that uh, sexual relations is inherently negative. Uh, there is no such concept, generally speaking, in Torah. Maybe overdoing it, but to understand it as inherently negative, no such reality. Again, if you went back and thought about this in a strict, absolute, true and false sense, well, so then maybe it is negative. But we don't live in that. So the Torah will give us mitzvot to understand eating and drinking as inherently driven by lust and desire. But the Torah is not negating that either. The Torah is is encircling it, the Torah is describing and explaining to us, structuring it appropriately for us. Zohar, which Rabbi David Ali, Rabbi David Ali Hashalom pointed out to me, he cited it from the book Torah Shelema Zohar has an interesting comment. Of course, it's a derasha, so don't get too worked about up about the peshat. But Zohar points out the following: says that if you read the Aseret haDibrot, at the very least, the way we read it. And when we read with what's called ta'am elyon, we read lo, tirsah, lo, Tinaf, and so forth. We pause after the word lo, and then we read the next word. Instead of reading it lo, um, it would be, if you know ta'amim, it would be ma'arikht sof pasuk. We read it as tarha sof pasuk. Tarha pauses you a little bit, and sof pasuk is another pause. So you kind of read it as lo, tirsah. Says, says Zohar, if had the Torah not been taught to us to read like that, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Because we would never kill. What a society, fantastic. He says, no, if you would never kill, you'd never be putting people to death when they're deservant of the death penalty. You'd never be able to build a governing society. So as a result, law. Don't sometimes murder. Sometimes tirsah. It's a derasha, but the derasha of the Zohar is very telling. Lo tirsah. Together. But, yeah, but words, what he's saying is tirsah. Sometimes you need to be rosah, yeah. It's 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 a governing statement. It's a Torah which is speaking to us and says Zohar. Had it not been read like that, we could never have an existing society. We'd never have a world which would operate appropriately. Pause. Oh, that's, that's it. Deliberate. Think about it. Yes. Absolutely. Is it appropriate? not nice. appropriate. Very nice. In other words, Sammy adds to the depth over here. The pause, the deliberation described in the Zohar uh, add another layer of depth. That is the way that we govern. Very nice. The Bereshit Rabba here in source number three, the Midrash in Bereshit, has the following statement, So instead of Har Sinai, our angels are back, but they're at the time that we're creating human beings. The angels began to build legions and groups amongst each other. They were disagreeing. Some said, yeah, it's a good idea to create human beings. The others said, it's a bad idea. Uh, that's what the Pasuk talks about when it says, Met each other, Siddek and Shalom, kissed one another, Pasukin uh, Tehilim. opposites. They were the ones arguing for and the ones against. amar so to speak, the attribute, the entity, the reality of chesed, of goodwill and doing said human beings. Fantastic. They do chasid. Truth said Alibarin. what are you talking about? He's filled with, with lies. There are good claims for the good, positive side of human beings and better ones for the negative side. Says the Midrash, then we lead to God's response to this whole mix-up, to this whole uh, fight, this whole argument amongst the angels. What did God do? Natal emet, he took truth, haaretz, and he threw it down to the ground. Hadahu dihtiv atashlech emet arsa. That's what the Pasuk means when it says that God threw truth down to the ground. What does it mean that God threw truth down to the ground? The Midrash concludes and it describes how as they're disagreeing one with the other God creates human beings. He says to them, you guys are squabbling, you guys are disagreeing. I already created human beings. What's Midrash describing? The description is that truth, so to speak, is thrown down to the ground. Truth is thrown down to our world. What are you talking about? Truth, I thought, was in the esoteric and the metaphysical realm. Two plus two equals four is truth. We live in a world of Tov and Ra. The description is within our world. We have to and we must live within the world by the constructs, by the realities we've created as human beings. If you think, I tell the story all the time because it's the best story I know to portray this reality. If you think you'll live, I'll tell the story in a second, you will live in this world by continuously screaming for truth and telling everyone and anyone who gets in your way that you stand for truth and you can't stand any of the fake which, uh, which envelops you, you will end up something along the lines of I don't know, a Unabomber, an extremist, a person who has to escape from society, a hermit, you can't and won't develop yourself appropriately. The story I tell is this: my Habuta for many, many years. We studied together and we were ready to get jobs and I said, I'm gonna be a rabbi. And he, brilliant, much wiser, much smarter than I ever will be, said he's gonna become a lawyer. He did it very quickly, got a great scholarship and so forth. I asked him, why a lawyer? We've been learning, we literally learned together, seven, eight years together, like all day and all night. Why wouldn't you want to be right? He said, The rabbin is filled with politics. I just, not for (laughs) me. So I said, I I guess so, but you don't think so? No, I'm going to have a great time. He would come until recently, he would come every summer to to visit us for a Shabbat in Allenhurst. And uh, one summer came and he was really down the whole time. And I asked him at one point on Shabbat, I said to him, what's you know, what's bothering you? It's a true story, through and through. So he goes, listen, the low world is good and it was easy for me, I'm good, I'm diligent, I work hard, I'm smart and all that sort of stuff. He said, but the thing that bothers me is that so much about rising and being successful is about playing the game of politics. I caught him in the moment. I said, do you remember, I don't think he did, I said, do you remember when you told me the reason you wouldn't go into the rabbinate? You said it's because of those darn politics. I said, Every Thing is politics. If you're going to be successful personally, communally, in any aspect, in any way of life, you're going to need to play the game of dealing with other human beings. The Torah Haram is adding to us. In the latter eight debirot of the Asirita Dibirot is speaking to human truths. tovena, to mefursamot, to Very surprising. It's not where we thought we were going. We thought we were living a life in which Torah was distilled. Torah was separate from all that business and as a result, the Torah says that this must mean something existentially. Not so fast, this is speaking to me and you and telling us how to speak to others, how to deal, how to to comport ourselves in this world. The Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, which I love citing as well in Dafsa design. Tells a funny story Um, Jeffrey Rubenstein of, of NYU as a matter of fact wrote a book with the name of this story as the name of his book The land of truth. It tells the story of the land of truth Initially, I thought there's no truth in this world There was one of the rabbis his name was either Rabbi Good or Rabbi Good Day. You hear the telling words already. It's truth And good. These are very Harambam type of words already. This individual told me that if he gave him everything in the world, he would never lie. He would never tell a lie. He was so good like that. One time, Rabbi Good Day, uh, happened upon a uh, town, a city, and the name of the city was Kushta. Kushta in Aramaic means truth. So it's the land of truth. In the land of truth, they didn't change. They always told the truth. Never changed their words. Never skewed it. Nobody died at the inappropriate time. It's already reminiscent of a world of emet and sheker where we were living forever. He got married to a woman from that place. And says, Rabbi, good day, I had Benin Mina. I had two sons, very similar to. One day my wife was sitting and she was brushing her hair. Uh, the neighbor came and knocked on the door. I thought, I didn't think it was appropriate for me to say my wife is in the back brushing her hair, maybe showering. I told the neighbor she's not home now. Immediately two of his sons died. The people of the place came in front of They said to him, what's going on? Nobody dies early. Your son's died. Something must be wrong. He said, this is what happened. I lied. They said, to him, please, we beseech you. We request with all... Uh, passion and anything and, and that goes into it. Get out of our place. And don't bring the death to these people. What's the Midrash? Of course the Midrash is almost a satire. What's the Midrash telling? The Midrash is describing an attempt to go back in this world to an emet and shaker existence. No such thing. You can't live life without telling lies. I don't want for any moment for all of you to walk out and say we're supposed to lie all the time. But I do want you to realize that the Torah tells us that God, the rabbis understand, God lied. The whole thing about Shammai, the reason we go by Hillel is because he says you've got to deal with people and people need... Sammy, Sammy points out furthermore that Hillel is praised in more than one place for their ability to deal with people, which means to say that governance in the context of halakha of what's going to be accepted as the proper conduct is determined by, not per se, rising up to shamayim like shamay, but rather speaking to people like hilal. This gemara in turn says to us, A land known as truth is not a land we live in. I take it one step further and just remind you Harambam's words. The Torah of truth, which is a Torah of truth, says Harambam. Yes, there are absolute truths in it. Ten Commandments, let's look at them. The first two, we'll call them Ikarim, absolute truths which you can and will add up in your mind, says Haram Bam, and it's what we did. We heard something and we were able to piece it together empirically based on evidence, based on understanding, philosophical, underpinnings of existence. This is God. He's the only one. The next eight were necessary truth. The next eight were toven ra realities. The next eight were, don't go back to the land of truth. You can't live in the land of truth. Live in the world of falsities and good and bad, but do this right with my instructions. It's the world in which the angels can't have this Torah. It's inappropriate for them. There's no necessity for them. The Torah, by definition, is speaking to us as human beings and saying, here is the way to politically maneuver yourself in this world the right way. In short, Harambam's description as he throws in, as he slips into his uh, telling of Ma'amad HaSinai, Sinai, that, that very significant detail, that the difference between the first two and the latter eight of the Deberot is the difference between the Muskalot and the Mekubalot and the Fusamot, first brought us back to a conversation in Perek Bet at the very onset of the book, but then deep in the conversation made us realize That as much as we maybe imagined we're fleeing, we're running from a world of this nonsensical tov and ra, it's anything but that. It's We're embracing it, but living it and experiencing it right through a structuring, through a determination and a description from the Torah how to live in this world properly. (laughs) Baruch Adonai Amen